Our church said last week that revival was a sovereign, kingly work of God, whereby the Holy Spirit comes upon an expectant people with refreshing, energizing power for the glory of His triune name. It's a sovereign, kingly work of God. It's something God does. But it comes upon, I said, in the vast majority of cases, an expectant, awaiting, calling forth people. One definition comes from the book called Pentecost Today by Ian Murray that says revival is an outpouring of the Holy Spirit brought about by the intercession of Christ resulting in a new degree of life in the churches and a widespread movement of grace among the unconverted. It is an extraordinary communication of the Spirit of God, a superabundance of the Spirit's operation and an enlargement of His manifest power. God comes in power. And the hymn I mentioned was a hymn written by a guy named Whitsitt that says, Round us the, the, the raindrops are falling, but for the showers we plead. A superabundant outpouring of the Holy Spirit in the life of the church. So this, this morning I'm going to go to the Old Testament, the book of Joshua, and look at a paradigm for ongoing spiritual empowerment and a paradigm that would lead a people of God to call out, O God of mercy, fall upon us. We're going to be in Joshua chapter 3 through 6. And the background of this story goes as following. The children of Israel are now at the Jordan River, looking across the Jordan River that is at flood stage into the promised land. Forty years before Twelve spies had gone into the promised land. They came back with a report, and ten of the twelve said, We are like grasshoppers. We can't begin to go into that land. We are nothing compared to the people we have to conquer. We can't pull it off. Two, Joshua and Caleb says, God is able. God will empower us. God will do it. The children of Israel chose to believe the majority report. And as a result, they wandered in the desert for 40 years. Because of their disobedience, God punished them until all those who were 20 years of age and above, the men had died. So now they're once again looking into the promised land. They're looking at a river that's at flood stage. And Moses, their esteemed leader, whom they have followed and loved and revered, usually, for many years, is now dead. A new guy is on the block named Joshua. We know, they said, we know he's a leader, but Joshua is young. What are we going to do? So as they look into the promised land, ask themselves, are we going to trust the promises of God? Joshua goes throughout the camp, and this is his message, point number one, chapter three, verse five. Joshua told the people, consecrate or dedicate or set apart yourselves to be holy, for tomorrow the Lord will do amazing things among you. The first step, he says, is this. We must be a prepared, consecrated people because tomorrow the Lord is going to work among us. I I step back, I look at our culture, I look at the church in the culture, and I say that the, the, the predominant difference between us and the people around us is this. We deal with God. I always think about Pilgrim's Progress, John Bunyan's book, when Christian and Hopeful are at Vanity Fair. And they have all these clothes and all these trinkets to buy. And they are, Vanity Fair is, is a symbol of worldliness. And they look at Pilgrim and, and, and Hopeful and they say, aren't you going to buy what we 
buy or wear what we wear or speak the way we speak. And it says that pilgrim or Christian fixed upon them with an earnest gaze and said, Sir, we deal with God. See, the people of God say, we deal with Jehovah God. We deal with the triune God who is. In Isaiah chapter 8, it says this, verse 12 and following, it says, Isaiah is calling the people of Israel back to a place of obedience. And it says, do not fear what they fear and do not dread it. The Lord Almighty is the one you are to regard as holy. He is the one you are to fear. He is the one you are to dread. And he will be a sanctuary for you. Both for the houses of Israel, he will be, but for the houses of Israel, he'll be a stone that causes men to stumble and a rock that makes them fall. So he said, see, if you walk in reverence before God, he'll be a sanctuary. But, but if you don't, you'll be a rock. You'll stumble over him. You know, just we deal with God. That's why, you know, we, we draw this circle. Let me chalk out last week, draw a circle. We stand in this circle. And so you say, Lord, deal with the person in this circle. It's not my wife or my kids or my friends. That primarily, I, I need to deal with the person in this circle. And I said last week in James chapter 4, James says, he says to the people of God, he says, he says, grieve, mourn, and wail. Change your laughter to, to sorrow and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will lift you up. And as I, 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 you think about that. I, just, I, I can't tell you what the bumper sticker said because probably some of you had this bumper sticker. But it was about God, and it was just stupid. It, was just, it wasn't blasphemous. It was just stupid. And I thought, how, how many people go through each week without one serious thought about God? Just, just we live in the cliche culture. We don't, we don't, we don't think deep. And it's not a matter of education or intelligence. It's a matter of the heart. And so if we're going to be renewed every day, and if we're going to call for revival, number one, we consecrate ourselves. We stand in the circle. Read Isaiah. This week I've been Isaiah three. Listen to this. He talks about the women. Wow. The, the Lord says the women of Zion are haughty, walking along with outstretched necks in arrogance, flirting with their eyes, tripping along with mincing steps, with ornaments jingling on their ankles. Instead, instead of being women of God, they're just. They're haughty, they're arrogant, they're uncaring. I thought about 1 Peter 3 that says, don't don't let your adornment be external, women. Not the braiding of hair, the wearing of gold jewelry, or the putting on of clothes, but let your adornment be the hidden person of the heart, the imperishable hidden person of the heart, which is a, a gentle and quiet spirit and is of great worth in God's sight. And I thought, how easily we are seduced everywhere we turn. Mincing steps, jangling jewelry, whatever. I'll just thought about this this morning. I was in, I occasionally go shopping with my wife because I want to be a good husband. We were in a, a shop one time. And, uh, you know, I, 
you get bored, you start playing games, you know, like the price is right, that type of stuff. And I picked up a purse and $335. And I thought, that's a lot of money for a purse. It's just a bag you put junk in. And you use, you know, get, then I, you know, you don't have real good. I looked again, it was $3,336. I said, God forbid any woman I know would ever buy something like that. That's just one example. And I just I ask myself, myself do, do, I, do, I go through, do I go through life thinking thoughts about God that are serious? Do I think about the guy in the circle? Do I consecrate myself? Am, am I calling forth the power of God in my life right now, today? And, and then the second point is this. It says that, that, that the character of God must always be preeminent. There's the children of Israel, and this is what it says. It says, verse 14, chapter 3, So when the people broke camp to cross the Jordan, the priest carrying the Ark of the Covenant went ahead of them. Now the Jordan is at flood stage and all during harvest, yet as soon as the priest who carried the Ark reached the Jordan... And their feet touched the water's edge. The water from upstream stopped flowing. It piled up in a heap at a great distance away at a town called Adam. Verse 17, the priest who carried the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord stood firm on dry ground in the middle of the Jordan while all Israel passed by until the whole nation had completed crossing on dry ground. Ark of the Covenant. And earlier he said, he said, when you break camp, stay a thousand yards behind the ark because God is holy. And here they, as soon as their feet hit the Jordan, boom, it parts. The ground, boom, is dry. And the people cross as they walk by the ark of the covenant representing the presence of God. Now, the Ark of the Covenant was, uh, it was just a small box. Inside the Ark of the Covenant was, among other things, the, the Ten Commandments that represented the character of God and our response to His character. But on the top of the Ark of the Covenant were two cherubim leaning over, and that is called the Mercy Seat. Symbolic of the fact that the way you approach God's holiness is through the mercy seat. And this prefigured, symbolized, foresignified, foreshadowed the coming of Christ. The character of God, the way we come to the God who is triune and holy is through the one mediator, Jesus Christ, who by his death on the cross made fellowship with God a distinct possibility for all those who come to him as the Lamb of God. But in, in all that we do, the character of God is preeminent. And these symbols, we understand, are fulfilled in the person and work of Christ. So if we're going to have personal renewal, if we're going to call for genuine spiritual awakening, the character and the reality of the triune God seen in the person of Christ must always be preeminent. It's all about the character of God. 
In 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 20, it says this. For no matter how many promises God has made, they are yes in Jesus Christ. And so through him the amen is spoken to us to the glory of God. Now it is God who makes both us and you stand firm in Christ. In Christ. All the promises are fulfilled in Christ. He says in chapter 3. He says, we are not like Moses, verse 13, who put a veil over his face to keep the Israelites from gazing at it while the radiance was fading away. When Moses talked to the Lord face to face, he came out of that meeting, his face glowed. But their minds were made dull. For to this day, the same veil remains when the old covenant is read. It has not been removed because only in Christ is it taken away. In other words, if we're going to understand the Old Testament, we have to understand the Old Testament promises are fulfilled in Jesus. It's all about the character of Christ. Even to this day when Moses is read, a veil covers their hearts. But whenever anyone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we who with unveiled faces all reflect the Lord's glory, and we are being transformed. Listen, renewal is about the character of God in the person of Christ. Thirdly, genuine renewal day to day is about celebrating the works of God, especially and really exclusively the cross. Listen, listen to this, this statement. So the, the waters stand up at the dead, the, excuse me, the Jordan River, the waters are parted, and this is what the scripture says. Choose 12 men from among yourselves, one from each tribe, and tell them to take up 12 stones from the middle of the Jordan, from right where the priests are standing, and carry them over and put them down to the place where you will stay tonight. In addition to that, he says, He says, he says, take, verse 9, Joshua set up 12 stones that had been in the middle of the Jordan, two memorials, in the middle of the Jordan at the spot where the priest who carried the Ark of the Covenant had stood, and they are there to this day. You celebrate the faithfulness of God. Here's, here's, so there are two memorials, one in the middle of the river, one outside where they stayed the first night. Celebrating the faithfulness of God. Read that in Lake Geneva in Switzerland, there was a drought one time, and they put a monument in the middle, well, the edge of the lake, and somebody chiseled at the top. When you can read this, weep, weep, because there's there's a drought. It's bad. Conversely, for the children of Israel, when the Jordan went down, and you can see the memorial. Instead of weeping, when you see this, rejoice. Because God worked among his people. God is a God who works. God is a God who calls us into fellowship with himself. And then he says this, verse 21, chapter 4. He said to the Israelites, In the future when your descendants ask their fathers, What do these stones mean? Tell them, Israel crossed the Jordan on dry ground. 
For the Lord your God dried up the Jordan before you until you had crossed over. The Lord your God did to the Jordan just what he had done to the Red Sea. When he dried it up before us until we crossed over. He did this so that all the peoples of the earth might know that the hand of Jehovah is powerful. And so that you might always fear the Lord your God. So, so you see, this memorial had, had, had a, a double focus. It, it had the double focus of the generations who, would to come, who were to come and the nations. And that we might walk in the reverence of God. This is who we are. This is what we're about. We've said before as a church, somebody get on an elevator and says, tell me about the particulars of, of East Cooper Church. I said, well... Got 20 seconds. Number one, we, we believe, I'll, I'll expand a little bit, okay. We believe that the Reformation was recovery of the gospel. And we love Reformation theology because we believe it's centered on the word of God and the work of Christ. We believe that we're saved by the work of Christ alone. We believe that the Bible is our authority alone. We believe that we're saved by grace alone, by the outstretched arm of God. We believe that faith is the gift that God gives us, and we're saved by faith alone. And we believe this is all done to the glory of God. Number two, we believe that we should be a missional people locally. We care about our friends and neighbors and coworkers and friends, and where they're going to spend eternity and our acquaintances, that without Christ they cannot be saved. We want to be a, a people who love unreached people groups and take the gospel to the masses of the world this is who we are because jesus is the only way for salvation we we believe in people in rich community and the dynamic importance of fellowship in the body of christ and fifthly we are transgenerational we believe in the generations to come and it's our responsibility to say to the generations to come this is who we are. When we had the Lord's Supper and we had the broken body, the broken bread and the wine, we said, this is who we are. We're people of the cross. We were people of the cross. Jesus gave his body to be broken and shed his blood so that we might have fellowship with the living God by the work of our mediator. This is who we are. What do these stones mean? What does this table mean? It means that Christ fulfilled all the memorial signs and all the sacrificial signs of the old testament in his one act upon the cross this is who we are and if we're to have genuine spiritual renewal we keep that front and center the generations the nations i love the generations we we have a middle school retreat right now we have 110 plus kids sixth through eighth grade on middle school retreat plus adults danny beach wonderful I love our high school or college or singles or children. We, we believe in generational ministry. If you look at our budget, it reflects that. This is who we are. We believe in the generations to come. Our prayers, God, make them more godly than we are. I love our school. We have a great school here. Palmetto Christian Academy. Unashamedly teaching the reality of Christ in every discipline of life. They're very bright kids. I'll tell you a quick story very smart children there's a kindergarten teacher here that i knew her parents when we first got here they were one of the first people who came to church here 30 years ago and became very good friends they moved dental practice and daughter came back and taught our school which is really cool her name's katie she's a sweet 26 just i love her. she's a great gal recently was married so a couple weeks after school started 
I'm always with the kindergartners because I used to say in bathroom they use and they're always in there. And uh, it's, it's party time up and down the hallway. So as Katie's down there, and I put my arm around and hugged her, and I said, how you doing? She says, I'm doing good. And the little girl said, Mrs. Brady, is that your husband? <laughs> so they're very smart. That child goes straight to the sixth grade. Just Somebody that smart needs to go. No, seriously. We, 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 love, we love the generations to come. That's who we are. Because it comes from the book. What do these stones mean? And so, so we, are, we are people who are earnest about these things. It's, see, I, I look at this. Let me, let me just say, I, I, when it comes to the circle and consecrating ourselves in the character of God and, 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 and the work of God realized and understood... We, we deal with our stuff all the time. There are people here today who, who are addicted to substance issues and need to get a friend and deal with that. I asked the guys this week, because my group of men, I said, what, what do you think men in our church struggle with? And four out of the five groups came back with, they had three answers, and four of the five groups said pornography. I mean, we, we need to get a friend and, and deal with that. And when something gets deeply in your soul, it takes prayer and fasting and prayer and fasting and seeking God. And that's why it's so important to come to Christ early because sin doesn't get its hooks in your psyche. There, there are men here who, who need to go home and repent before their wives for being either a, a dominating man or, or, a, or a passive, milk-toast, no-backbone, spineless dude. They're both sinful. There are women who read 1 Peter 3 about let your adornment be, be, be internal primarily, not external. And, and you say, you want to throw up because you're not living that way. There, there are children who need to go home and say to their mom and dad, I have not honored you. I have bought the lie of you've got to go through teenage rebellion. That's a lie from the pit of hell. It's an excuse for being stupid. There are people involved in immorality here. I'm telling you, it's, it's everywhere. You need to repent. Repent. Misplaced. But, you know, but, but with all those things, I just thought of three things that I want to just highlight that, that I think hits all of us and keeps us from really crying out for renewal. One is, one is just... Um, what I call tangential issues. The main thing is to seek Christ. The main thing is to pray thy kingdom come. But our life just gets cluttered. And it happens all the time. It happens to me. I'm a pastor, for heaven's sake. <laughs> my, my, my example here is, is uh, this. this. This is um, a couple years ago. I spoke at a missions conference in Poland and afterwards went to Czech Republic. So I want to go to Prague. Prague is, is the home of John Hus, or as they say there, Jan Hus. John Hus was a great man of God who loved the gospel of grace and who preached it. And in 1315, every time I tell this story, I get 
I get chills. 1315, John Huss was burned alive because he wouldn't quit preaching the gospel. Burned alive. And as they lit the fire around his, the, the, the wood around his feet, he said this, you may kill me, but within 100 years, another voice will arise and you will not be able to silence him. 102 years later, Martin Luther started the Reformation. I'm just going, wow. Is it 1415? I'm sorry, 1415. So I, w- I want to see John Huss. I love John Huss. I've read his books about him. In fact, we were there on John Huss Day. The whole country closed down. It was John Huss Day. I mean, grocery stores closed, subway. It, it was like the 4th of July on steroids. So I asked all these Czech people, said, who is John Huss? I, I don't know, but we're celebrating his day. I guess, you know, I'd celebrate Bilbo Baggins Day if I got a day off work. You know, I'd, I'd do that. So they, they didn't, had no idea. And I go to the main square. There's this huge, beautiful statue of John, John Huss. But I couldn't see because they were having a European soccer tournament. And there's nothing wrong with soccer if you can't watch football. But, I mean, they had this European soccer tournament with these big screens in front of John Huss. I couldn't see John Huss because of the soccer screens. Eating their bratwurst and drinking, having a good... Nothing wrong with soccer, nothing wrong with bratwurst, nothing wrong with friendship. But see, busyness or tangential issues cloud the main thing. It happens to us financially, our time, being in the Lord's house on the Lord's day. I mean, you're here. A lot of people aren't. They're just, just, another issue, just, just identity theft. Identity theft. Another story. This summer, we did a conference again in Europe. I, we got to go to Europe. And so I've never been to Switzerland. got to go to Switzerland. I thought, you know, very expensive. I mean, really ridiculous. But I thought, okay, Zurich Zwingli. Now, Zwingli was one of the three leaders of the Reformation. Zwingli was a contemporary of John Calvin and Martin Luther. He died early, so we don't know much about him. But, but Zwingli was a priest who discovered the gospel of grace and raised up a band of men. And this band of men started the Baptist movement. East Cooper Baptist Church, okay, Baptist movement. God named Conrad Grebel and Minnow Simons, those guys. So they, they, the Baptist movement was started in the study of Ulrich Zwingli, this man who walked out of the priesthood because he saw the gospel of grace. So I went to Ulrich Zwingli Church in Zurich. I was just thrilled. It was a beautiful church. Nothing about the gospel, nothing about scripture. Just he was a great man and you can go up the bell tower for, you know, this, that. So it's beautiful, but nothing. So you go to the main square and there's a, there's a, memorial to Urg Zwingli and had it translated it says humanist bible translator head of the Zurich church so forth and so on died in 1531 now to, to be fair when they say humanist in the 1500s that they meant people who would elevate it they're fellow human beings today when humanist manifesto means that man is the measure of all things so your basic premise is wrong. So you just, from there, you just go bad. So, so to be fair to them, humans are somebody that elevated human, they're human beings, uh, fellow human beings, they cared for them, Bible translator, head of the church. I, I, I thought nothing about the gospel of grace. <laughs> Zwingli was primarily a man who saw the beauty of Christ in the scripture and preached salvation by the work of Jesus alone, saying that he was primarily a Bible translator, and he really wasn't much of that, or, or, or a, 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 a administrator of a church, is like saying this guy is primarily an economics major from Michigan. 
Tom Brady, one of the greatest quarterbacks of modern day football. It's, it's just, it's just, it's just wrong. I thought identity theft. What am I known as primarily? I am a child of God saved by the work of Christ, adopted into the family of God. What do these stones mean? What does this broken bread and wine mean? It means that Jesus is Lord. And, and if we're to call forth the power of God in our lives, these things must be central, church. So we, we come to the Lord's table now. As, and, and when we come to the Lord's table, we invite all people who've trusted in Christ. All people. But we also invite people to come to the Lord's table. And as they come, as you receive the bread and the juice, you deal with yourself. You deal with your issues. And you receive it gladly. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this day. and Thank you for the absolute wonder of sins forgiven by the work of Christ. And I ask, Lord, that you would forgive us for letting busyness or tangential issues or identity theft rob us of the grace of and the beauty and the joy of knowing Jesus. I, I, and I, I pray, Lord, that as we stand before you today and receive this memorial celebration, as we ask ourselves, what does the bread mean? What does the wine mean? That we would say, this means that the eternal God became a man and lived a perfect life and died on the cross for our sins. And this table is open to anyone who confesses their sin and their need for a Savior and believes that Jesus died on the cross for their sins. Thank you for the simplicity of the gospel. But Lord, may we be consecrated people. May we deal with stuff that we have to deal with. May we be willing to go to a brother today and say, or to a sister and say, can you help me walk through this? Uh, can you help me go, go and seek forgiveness? Can you help me make a relationship right? Lord, we want your power to fall upon us. And we would plead for that as we are consecrated to you, as we realize that the character of God is preeminent, as we understand the memorial of the cross. Oh, God, thank you that you've given us this symbol so that we can say to our coming generations, behold the glory of Christ. And you've given this message to take to the nations. Behold the glory of Jesus, in whose name we pray, amen.